I want you to think of a person in your life, perhaps in the past, or perhaps now, that has taught you a lesson. Whether it be a lesson by their life or a lesson verbally. Perhaps it was a positive lesson. Uh, perhaps it was something that they encouraged you in and, and you could, whether by their example or by their words, you took that lesson to heart and, and observed it and tried to impact it into your life. Perhaps it was a negative lesson, something that you saw in somebody else's life, whether it be a family member or a person you know, that you said, you know what, eh, probably not going to do that. I'm thinking of, uh, of several people in my life who have taught me lessons by their life and by their words. And I think the illustration that comes to my mind is my dad. My dad was a pastor for 22 and a half years and um, currently works for the U.S. Postal Service as a rural route carrier down in the southwest corner of of Minnesota. And one thing that stands out to my dad that as I've talked with him and and, um, observed his life is his faithfulness. My dad will do any task that's given to him and will be faithful to complete it to the end. And over the years, as I've seen him do many things, from pastoring to working on cars to um, you know, housework, uh, my dad has been faithful. And that is a lesson that I'm taking to my, heart, to my own heart and my own life and applying it, seeing how my dad has been faithful in different things that he's been given, and I can do the same thing. And that is a lesson that I intend to teach to my sons growing up, the importance of faithfulness, having seen it in my own dad. And you could think of other people who have taught you lessons both positive and negative. Well, this morning in, in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35, I want us to look at his life, the life of Simeon, and observe what lessons we can learn. Okay? I want us to observe what lessons we can learn. And I want us to make three observations here. Three lessons that we can observe from this passage. The first one from verse 1 is this. God honors faithfulness to him. God honors faithfulness to him. We start in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is this average guy, okay, Simeon. We don't know much more than that. A man in Jerusalem. We're not told what he did. We're not told, you know, how old he was. He has to be getting on in years, as, as he has been told in verse 26, that death will not come until he has seen the Lord's Christ. So he's just an average guy. Perhaps some have speculated whether he was a member of the priesthood. You know, it's just, there's different things that we can speculate about his life, but we just don't know. He's just an average guy. But more importantly, he, he was a, a man whose character was blameless before God. This man was just and devout. The word just means to be righteous. And it has the idea of, of, of being with a, in accordance with high standards of morality. So he had a, a moral compass on him that was righteous. It was in line with what God prescribed. 
And when people noticed him on the street, street they, they saw Simeon, a man who was acting in a way that would please God, that was blameless before him. But he was also devout, notice as well. And the, word, the idea of the word devout means to, to hold carefully. The idea behind the word is to be, be one of reverence. You know, to be handling something very carefully. And since the context is, here is going on in the temple, we can, we can make the, the understanding that the idea of the word devout here means to be God-fearing. He was someone who would come into the temple where he would treat it with such reverence and awe as he came to worship God that everybody could look at him and note that he was a devout, God-fearing Jew. So to sum it up, to sum these words up, there was, this was the plain, average Simeon was a God-fearing Jew who lived out his faith. He obeyed the law, and as he did so, he showed he held the highest regard for God who gave the law. So he both obeyed the law, he was just, righteous, no one can point the finger at him and hold him to blame for a law broken, and he was devout, he worshipped God, he feared God, he held God in the highest regard. I don't know about you, but that's something I once said about my life. Not, not as a way of praising me, but just as a way of describing me. There, there goes David who is just and devout. He, he loves God. He loves God's word. That's a description I want to carry. But no, secondly, about Simeon, that he anticipated the promise coming of the Messiah. Waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The word, the word waiting here means to look forward to. The, the idea is anticipation. And the present tense grammar here shows that he was continually waiting. He had been waiting for a long time. He didn't, he didn't wait one day and then stop the next. He didn't wait one week and then took a couple weeks off. No, he continually waited for the Messiah. I might use the illustration for me growing up, living here in Minnesota. I lived halfway between both sets of grandparents. One set was in Pennsylvania. The other set was in Arizona. And there was a couple times during my growing up years where my grandparents from Pennsylvania made the drive out to visit us. And back then, you didn't have cell phones. Or if you did, they were too expensive. And so oftentimes, how we got updates was through the payphone. You know, grandma, grandpa here and here. And so there was this, as they got closer and closer, and it took them a couple days to coming out to visit us, we, can, we were always looking out the window to making sure that their van was just coming right around the corner and, and, and anticipating their return. We had cleaned up, we had made ready, and we were just waiting for them to come. It was so exciting, probably because we knew they were bringing some stuff for us. So we might have had ulterior motives to that. But nonetheless, right, we were excited to see our grandparents and the stuff that they brought us. Uh, so they, they were coming around, and we were, just, we were anticipating. We were on our, our, our toes just waiting for them to come. And, and when made, they made that turn around the corner at 302 South Fremont Street and pulled into our driveway, boy, were we excited to see them. My grandfather was more... <laughs> More, more happy to be out of the car and be able to stretch his legs. But we were excited to see him. We anticipated their arrival. So here, more importantly, Simeon is anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. 
as he calls them, the consolation of Israel. The word, the word consolation here means to be comforted or encouraged. This term is used of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper or consolation or encourager that he may abide with you forever. The idea is to, to be an encouragement, to be a help to somebody. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel so, so he's not just waiting for a general, generic individual. He's waiting for the Messiah. The Messiah who was promised to Israel. That's who he's waiting for. So even before hearing... Notice what's going on here. Even before hearing from God. I mean, he hears from God in verse 26. But even before we get to that verse, we see a man who was waiting for God's promised deliverer without even a promise that it would show up in his lifetime. Think about that. He was waiting for Messiah long before Messiah even showed up. And it could have been that he wouldn't show up, but he was still waiting. He was still waiting for God to fulfill his promise. He was still waiting for God to fulfill his word. Isn't that a lesson to consider? God has promised different things, and, and we know that he will fulfill his promise. But sometimes it's just so hard to wait, isn't it? When we see a man who waits for God to fulfill his word. See also something about this passage that shows us that God was with Simeon. God was with Simeon, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here is, is, is the consistency of the Old Testament truth. That whenever God prepared somebody for a task, he would send the Holy Spirit to fill or rest upon him. And this was a temporary scenario. Because oftentimes we see in the Old Testament, once the task was done, the Holy Spirit left. So by, by using this phrase, the Holy Spirit was with him, God had a pur- shows God had a purpose for Simeon which is why the Holy Spirit was present upon him. And also shows that the resting of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, shows that Simeon had God's favor. We can, we can go back to Luke chapter 1 and see the same concept with Mary. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, what does, what does the angel say? He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you will conceive in your womb and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jump down to verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. That only happens to those with whom God has favor. So here, see, God was with Simeon. God had a plan for Simeon. He had, he had a purpose for Simeon. And so he rested on him and Simeon had God's favor. Which leads us to also notice that Simeon received a promise from God Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word revealed here means to to impart a divine message. This was something that happened in the past, whether it was recent, whether it was a couple years before, we don't know. But at some point in time in the past, the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that Death wouldn't come before he had seen the Lord's Christ, or the Messiah is what he's referring to. That death would be delayed before 
he would see the promised one. That's the idea of the word see. He, he, would, he would experience the Messiah in whatever form before his death. So again, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know whether the Messiah is going to come waltzing into the temple and restore the kingdom to Israel. He doesn't know how this is all going to take place. He just is in the temple. He's, he's waiting. God's with him. And he's got this promise. And he's holding on to it. It leads me to ask this question this morning as we think about this. Does your faithfulness to God look like Simeon's? As you evaluate your life, as you think about, I'm not necessarily saying years, but you think about this past year, with all the challenges that we've undergone, with all the things that we've undertaken, has our faithfulness to God looked anything like Simeon's? Have we been faithful to his word? Have we been faithful to him? Have we held him in the highest regard? Have we been waiting for, having the anticipation of of waiting for him to show up? And I have to confess to you, there are times where it's been not like that. Where I have doubted God. Where I have not waited for him as I should. And therefore I have not been faithful to him. And you have to answer that question for yourself. When you look at this passage of Scripture, is your faithfulness to God like Simeon's or is it absent? I hope that's a challenge to all of us. Second observation, second lesson that we can learn that God's salvation provokes rejoicing. God's salvation provokes rejoicing. Notice Notice verses 27 through 33. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when, he, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Notice a couple things here. That this rejoicing was the result of a divine appointment. He was led into the temple by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit came to Simeon, whether in a vision, whether just circumstances, he led him into the temple to meet the Messiah. He didn't come by his own intuition. He didn't come by happenstance. No, he was, he was guided by the Spirit. He was guided by the Spirit to meet Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. That's where God wanted them to meet, which is interesting, isn't it? The temple where the worship of God took place, where, where God was thought to dwell. Instead, rather than going to meet God at the temple, Simeon meets God in the form of a little baby. It's a divine appointment. Mary and Joseph were just there to, to, to go through the process of sacrifice. If you know anything about the Old Testament law, in Leviticus, it was very clear, going back, going, you can jump back to verse 22, that according to the law of Moses, she, uh, the woman who bore uh, a child had to go through certain uh, time of purification. For If she bore a boy, it was 40 days. If she bore a girl, it was 80 days. And then she had to come and bring a sacrifice to redeem her child from God and, and bring a redemption sacrifice for herself to satisfy the the purification laws. 
So that's what they were there to do. They were just there to register Jesus and to bring the sacrifices, complete their duties according to God's law. But it's there where God meets them through Simeon. Simeon comes and, and he's perhaps they're on the way to the sacrifice. Perhaps they've already registered him. They're on their way out, whatever it is. They, they came in the temple to do for him according to the custom law. They're in the process and Simeon encounters them. Now, now, just you ladies, think of this for a second. You're coming into perhaps a grocery store or something. Just think about this in modern terms. And some stranger takes your kid. I'm, I'm pretty sure you would have freaked out. But Mary doesn't. She, she obviously is probably pretty startled by this, according to verse 33, and they marveled at those things which were spoken of him. But, but Simeon takes Jesus into his arms. So seeing the Messiah brings peace to Simeon. And he blesses God and says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon blesses God. The word blessed here means to, to praise, speak well of. We looked at this last week with Zechariah where he blesses God. But Simeon gives praise to God for allowing him to see the Messiah. So he's recalling all the promises to him and, and this one specific one where he would not die before seeing Messiah. And so he, he praises God. God, I thank you for this opportunity. It shows a humble spirit, doesn't it? A man who didn't have to be promised this, but God gave him this opportunity, and he responds in thankfulness and praise to God. Now notice here that his prayer now is directed to God. It, it seems that Mary and Joseph are off to the side now, not that Simeon is directly avoiding them, but he's intentionally focused on Jesus, and he temporarily forgets about Mary and Joseph, and that's okay. But he says there, notice in verse 25, you are letting, Lord, you now, you are letting your servant depart in peace. The word letting has the idea of to, to release or set free, and here it is a euphemism for death. So, not, so seeing the Messiah is a confirmation to Simeon that he's going to die soon. But he still gets to see the Messiah. So, so there's, there's peace there. You're letting your servant depart in peace. So there's peace because he knows death is coming soon, and there's peace because he has seen the Messiah come, the one who had been prophesied for so many years. So Simeon could die in peace knowing that his death, death would be a peaceful one, but that God's promises were about to be fulfilled. I mean, picture that with me. Picture you being a faithful Jew who has lived so many years, and now you're under Roman oppression, and you're, you're trying to obey the law, and you've got all these different hoops to jump through, and you're trying to worship God, and, and you're wondering, is he going to fulfill his promises? Is he going to do what he says he will do? And, and all of a sudden, you see this older man saying, Lord, now you're, you're letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You're kind of wondering, what is he talking about? And perhaps later you come, as, a, as Jesus comes on the scene, and he dies and everything, you come back and you look at this, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what he was talking about. Seeing the Messiah and Simeon's death are all according to God's promise. So he fulfilled his promise to him. Notice also with me that Simeon proclaims the salvation that God has provided. For my eyes have seen your salvation. 
The word salvation refers to the deliverance from the penalty of sin. Again, here's irony. Where is Simeon and Mary and Joseph? They are in the temple where sacrifices are being offered, probably at that very minute. And what does Simeon say? Salvation is in his hands, not in those sacrifices. So he praises not the sacrifices being offered for sin, which he could easily do, but he's praising a person who will provide the one offering that will satisfy God's wrath for all time. My, your salvation, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Not my salvation, Simeon doesn't refer to himself, he's saying your salvation. So he's emphasizing that this salvation is of God's design with no hint of man's participation. Which again, notice the irony. Temple, sacrifices, man-made altars, man, man's resources employed to try to please God and satisfy God according to his law, which ultimately it could not do. And there in the temple is a little baby who satisfies everything. And in that time period so long ago, as Simeon is holding him, he is holding God's salvation, God's answer to all man's problems. Aren't you thankful for a God who satisfies your problems with one small child? born so long ago in such a place. He's our answer. Notice also that Simeon proclaims that this salvation is for all people, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This salvation through the Messiah was planned long ago. That's the idea of the, the phrase, you have prepared it's a readiness for a purpose. God prepared the Messiah for a purpose. Knows he, who he prepared him for. Not just Jews, for all people. Although the Messiah is Jewish, and one might assume that salvation is for the Jews, Jesus said, John 4, 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, and he's right. Yet Simeon makes an amazing statement by saying that God has prepared the Messiah to save all people regardless if they are Jewish or not. The salvation God's provided is for all. I hope we see that as, as we think and consider that at this Christmas time. The salvation is for everybody, not just a few. He goes on to say that a light to bring revelation. The word revelation means to uncover something that was previously concealed. Through the light of the Messiah, the way of salvation is revealed to the Gentiles. We discussed this previously in, in our, our, our discussion of Ephesians. Gentiles were outside looking in. They had no hope of salvation. But now Jesus has come, Messiah has come, and now they have a way to be saved. And Simeon says that is the, the light Messiah is light to bring to the Gentiles. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Messiah is the crowning achievement of Israel because he is the fulfillment of all that was promised to the nation. So he's a light to bring salvation to the Gentiles. 
revealing the way of salvation, and he is the glory of the nation because he fulfills all that the nation look forward to. So it leads me to ask this question again by, point of, by way of application. Do you rejoice when you see Jesus? I mean, again, think about this. An old man in a temple setting who has been promised that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. He rejoices at that event knowing that he will die soon. But he will die peacefully because he has seen that God is fulfilling his promises. And, and, and he's holding him physically in his hands. But when you and I read God's word, do we rejoice at seeing what Jesus is doing for us? Do we have the same joy as Simeon? Again, our, our faith is not sight yet. But still, the same, I hesitate to use the word requirement, the same obligation, if you will, the same desire should be on our hearts and minds. When we see Jesus, we should rejoice. So when you read Jesus in the Gospels, do you rejoice at at his, His miracles? Do you rejoice at His teaching? When you see Jesus in Revelation, coming and bringing all things to completion, do you rejoice? Or are you in dread? Because... Well, I haven't been really obeying him like I should. Do I rejoice in Jesus when I'm reading his word and, and I'm challenged by something that he says, whether it be in the epistles or the gospels? Am I challenged to change? And do I rejoice in that? Do I thank God for Jesus who died on a cross so that I might have eternal life and I can be more like him? It's really easy to rejoice when something is in front of you. It is harder to rejoice when something you know is there, but it's still yet future to your day. But do you rejoice when you see Jesus? Third lesson, observation that we can learn this morning, is that God provides encouragement amid uncertainty. Verses 33 through 35 Notice that, that Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph. And picture their response, verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Again, you, you, you're standing there. Your child is being held by a stranger whom you don't know. And he's saying these wonderful things about him to God. And picture, I mean, they have a little bit of an inkling, especially Mary having been, some of these things revealed to her by the angel Gabriel. But, but they're more astonished to hear them in person, by, spoken by a total stranger. And perhaps that leaves them just a bit overwhelmed at what they've heard. But notice what Simeon does in verse 34, then Simeon blessed them. The word bless here means to speak well of. It's, it's kind of the, it's the same word used in verse 28. So in speaking well of them, he praises the way they are parenting their child. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're coming to the temple. They're offering the sacrifices like they're supposed to according to the law. So he blesses them. He speaks well of them. He encourages them. And I'm sure after hearing those things that that he just spoke about Jesus, that's an encouragement to their heart as well. But now he addresses Mary specifically. He prepares her for what her child will do and how that will affect her. That's verse 34. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Points out several things here. Number one, that Jesus will cause people to rise up 
and others to stumble throughout his ministry. The word destined has the idea of the word to be appointed, and the grammar reflects this is God's doing. God has appointed him to this task to encourage, to help many to rise up, but also be a stumbling block to others. We looked at this in, if you go back to the Psalms, it talks about a rock of offense. And so Jesus, in his ministry, as you read through the Gospels, continually faced not only opposition, but people who were offended by him, and therefore they stumbled. But also he encountered people who rejoiced at him, who were encouraged by him, and who rose up and, and went on to follow him. Jesus will also face opposition. That's the idea of the word the, 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 for a sign which will be spoken against. That word spoken against means to oppose. So he's going to face opposition all of his life. I mean, think of this as a, as a young mother, a first child. Your, your child's going to face opposition. They're not going to succeed well with others. We, our world talks about success and setting up your child for success. But here Simeon tells Mary that her child is going to suffer opposition. He's going to be opposed. She herself is going to suffer for it. Yea, a sword, verse 35, will pierce through your own soul also. Perhaps as, as, as Simeon is talking to her, he's, he's in some way taking on a prophetic form here. Is showing Mary that she's going to suffer as her son is opposed and later crucified on the cross. That she's going to cause, it's going to cause her deep agony and pain. That's the idea of the sword and the soul. She's not going to be untouched by the events surrounding her son. And lastly, Jesus' ministry will reveal the true intentions of man, especially the Jews. Last part of verse 35, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The word thoughts here has the idea of the reasoning process. It's, it's, it's the process people go through to think things out, to reason things out. And it's interesting to note here that that takes place in the heart, not the mind. So Jesus isn't going to come and tell people what they're thinking, Simeon says. No, he's going to tell them who they really are. And we know from reading John chapter 1 that he came to his own and his own received him not. Why? Because their hearts were revealed and they didn't like what Jesus was telling them. Not a lot of positive things in these few verses that, that Mary is hearing, but yet Simeon is doing this to prepare her for what her son will do in order to be the salvation for all people. So by way of application this morning, let me ask you this. Do you seek to be an encouragement to others? Now, I'm not saying you should act like Simeon and tell people what their kids are going to do in the future. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But Simeon could have stopped in verse 32, right? He could have stopped and said, you know, that was enough. Here, here's your kid. Have a nice day. <laughs> I'm going to go die now. No, he doesn't. He turns to them and encourages them. He prepares Mary for what will happen. And perhaps Mary thinks about this even at the cross. Are we seeking those opportunities to be an encouragement? With people who are sick, with people who are struggling, especially with, with going on with a worldwide pandemic, are we making 
available opportunities to minister and encourage others. And your job, as, as you work that nine to five, you finding ways to be an encouragement to others. As you think about your life, as you think about your family life, are you being encouragement to your wife? Are you being encouragement to your husband? Are you seeking to be that uplifting, encouraging soul that leaves person, people satisfied and not empty? Simeon was that. He could have walked away and, and just said, you know, that, that's it, God's going to take me home. But he takes time to be an encouragement to Mary and Joseph. With the journey that they have ahead of them, they can use all the encouragement they could get. And so he takes time to do that. Do you and I seek to be an encouragement to others? Lessons about life and God are all around us. We see them in people that we know from the past to the present. We experience them personally, whether it be through work experience and just our overall life experience, or we, we, we learn them through an outside experience, perspective, whether we were reading in a book or, or we hear someone has, uh, of what someone has gone through. We, we take in a lesson through that perspective. And I believe that what we can learn from Simeon's life can be really summed up, these lessons can be summed up in one statement. And the statement is this, be a faithful, rejoicing, encouraging believer. Simeon was faithful. Despite the years of waiting, despite the, the questions that probably filled his mind, he still was faithful. He was a rejoicing believer. He, he rejoiced at God's salvation, what God was doing, and so he took that opportunity. In spite of his hard circumstance, he still sought to be rejoicing, and he was an encouraging believer. He encouraged two young parents who had no clue what was facing them and gave them some things to hold on to even when things would become tough. Can you and I be that? in the midst of a, a time period where people are looking for such hope, cannot you and I be a faithful, rejoicing, encouraging believer?